Lord, your presence is real, and it is here, and we come into this place this morning expecting you to do great and mighty things. We love you, and we praise you, we magnify you, and we trust you today, Lord, to speak to us through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand, if you would, and if you are able for our call to worship. It comes from Psalm 22, verses 3 and 4, and verses 22 and 23. Please join with me. Uh, We're in notes, people. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trust, trust, they trusted, and you delivered them. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, you who fear the Lord, praise him.
you don't see me for a, uh, what I look like, uh, where I work, what I make, um, how old I am, none of those things, that you look at our hearts. And um, I praise you that that is a, uh, a thing that um, men do not see, um, but you do. And you are worthy of our praise that we can come before you um, just um, broken and contrite hearts. And, and that's it. And professing Jesus, that we can trust and um, he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our praise. And that whatever is going on in the world, in our lives, um, uh, a, a war or um, just daily turmoil in our lives, that you are there, you are faithful, um, you are teaching us, you are with us. And um, I praise you that you are a Savior that is worthy of our praise. Um, I thank you that we get to do that, that, that life, and uh, that you surround us with believers that challenge us, that encourage us, that support us, that um, walk through things with us, and that you provide in ways that um, yeah, we, we can't plan. Um, just reminded of five loaves and two fish, that I want to come to you with greatness, um, but that's not what you want, and you want humbleness, submission, and us to follow you. And I just praise you that that's all it is, that it's it's not um, not about me, it's about you. So praise you for this time. We have to celebrate you corporately and uh, bless this and may it just be a sweet aroma to you and uh, our praise to be lifted up today. Amen. All right, we're going to do today's Confession of Faith from the Heidelberg, Confe uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, I'll ask a question, and you can respond with the answer. Why is Jesus called God's only begotten Son when we are also our God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ.
Our scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Father God, we just thank you for these words, these words that are finite but describe the infinite awesomeness of Jesus, how great he is, how wide and how high is his majesty, how glorious he is in all things, before all things, in all things, above all things. Jesus, you're just amazing, and yet you come to this earth through your blood of the cross to reconcile us all to you, all things to you. Father, we come here to um, pray a prayer of supplication, to pray for those here who are in need, people who are in desperate financial situations. Father, I pray for um, your, your blessing to fall on them and for the, whatever the situation is, that you would meet their needs. I know we have people with emotional needs here, physical needs. I pray for healing for them. Father, I pray for us as a church that you will continue to draw us closer to each other and closer to you through the blood of the cross. Help us, Father. We need you in every aspect of our lives, in every aspect of this church. Um, we need you to be there at the center of all things. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wanna be 
few moments meditating on the words of that song. Close your eyes and meditate on the goodness of Jesus and how great and how beautiful his name is. To yourself, offering praises to him. For he's been good this week. He's been faithful this week. Praise him for that. Praise him for being uh, your friend. For being your forgiver for being your advocate, for being your counselor, for being your healer, for being your hope, for being your peace, for being everything that you need him to be. Praise him for that. Praise him for that amazing grace. Praise him for that sacrifice that he he did on your behalf. Praise him that he took all your sin on the cross and and has given you all of his righteousness if you have faith in him. Praise him for that. That because of him, you are no longer orphaned. You are no longer an enemy of God. You are now a friend of God because of him. Praise him for that. Everything that we are, everything that you are, is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he has done. Praise him for that. You are enough because of him. You have favor because of him. You have forgiveness because of him. You have a position within God's kingdom because of him. You have eternal security because of him. You are beloved because of him. All your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to that old rugged cross and you would never bear them again. Praise him for that. Praise him. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. I want to thank you all who uh, prayed for our family uh, last week with the passing of one of my Waikita's first cousins. It was a a beautiful homecoming and a beautiful celebration of life. So thank you all for for those prayers and lifting us up. And it is good to be back uh, with the TBC Saints. And so if you have your Bible or your Bible app, please open it to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Our text today is verses 15 through 20. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through uh, 20. This message will conclude the Come Join the Mission and Vision series. And I've titled this final message, The Great One. The Great One. Jesus is the Great One. And as resurrection advocates, as those who represent Christ to the world, Christians are representatives to the Great One, to the world. If you are a Christian today, a a person who has saving faith in Jesus, then then you have the privilege of representing him to other people, to your family, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to the people you run into uh, at the grocery store. You are Christ's representative in the places where you live and do life, Monday through Sunday. You get the privilege of representing him. So who is this Jesus? Who is this great one that we represent? And that is the question that I'm going to try to answer today. Who is the Jesus that we present to the world? When you're doing life, and if you are the hands and feet of Christ, 
in the places where you do life, what is, who is the Jesus that you represent to those folks? Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, you are wonderful, you are true, you are good, you are wonderful, and because of you, everyone here who is a believer and professing Christian, they can have understanding of Scripture. I pray for those who are here who don't know you. I pray that you will use this word and continue to use the service to pull them in, to regenerate their hearts so that they can make a profession of faith. I pray that you minister to our minds, minister to our emotions, and minister to us in the places where we really do life. I pray that each of us will receive the word that we need to receive today. Because Jesus is good. Even when life isn't always good, he's good. And I pray that we will taste and continue to taste the goodness of the Lord during this time together. And it's in his wonderful name that I pray. Amen. Pastor Leif Anderson uh, once shared a story about Henry Emerson Fosdett. And Fosdett was a national uh, radio personality, a teacher and a preacher in the early part of this century. And listen to what Pastor Anderson says uh, about him. He says, Fosdett said that when he was a boy, he would look out the window and watch the branches and the leaves on the tree, trees move. And he, he, he would sense that the wind blowing, and he put it together. So he would sense that the wind is blowing. So he put this together. He concluded it was the moving of the branches he could see that caused the movement of the wind that he could not see. But he explained later when he grew to adulthood that he understood it differently, discovering that it was the wind that he could not see that moved the branches that he could see. The same is true of our invisible God. He's real, even though we cannot see him with the human eye. He's the wind that moves all the things that we see in this world. And as Pastor Anderson says, he's like the wind. The wind blows where it pleases and chooses the wind that makes things happen. The same is, is true for our invisible God. Our invisible God, he makes things happen to reveal himself to us. Okay? That you, that no one can ever be on a journey to discover God. God has to reveal himself to anyone that's seeking him. Because the finite can never really comprehend and apprehend what's infinite. It's impossible. So he makes himself known. And the Old Testament is filled with examples of God revealing himself to his people. He reveals himself with, with physical appearances known as theophanies. This is him revealing his, himself in ways that, that is tangible to the human senses. Because if, if he didn't do that, then we would never know, right? He takes on various forms, like the angel of the Lord, the burning bush with Moses, the, the, the cloud of smoke and the pillar of cloud, or the spirit of the Lord. And he also appears to people in the Old Testament through visions and, and dreams. Like the vision of, of in Ezekiel um, 1, verses 4 through 28. You see, the prophet Ezekiel, he receives a vision of the glory of the Lord. It's a wonderful picture of God's glory. It's painted for us. And after receiving this vision, the prophet says, Such was the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Such was the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That's important. Why? Why do you think that phrase is important? Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Why is that important? You see, God's true essence 
is never seen in any of the Old Testament parents. Remember, what, what does he tell Moses in, in the burning bush? You cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. So all the Old Testament, I need y'all to participate. So when I'm asking questions, I need y'all to talk to me, okay? So all the Old Testament theophanies are just the appearance of God's likeness. They're not his true essence. Who is his true essence? Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the selfie of the invisible God. In John 14, 8, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Jesus says to him, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God's selfie. He represents the invisible God visibly because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He is God incarnate. You see, everything the Bible says about God's character, nature, and attributes are all true of Jesus as well. That's why we can't reduce him so far down to our level, because he's like us and he's also other than us. He's other too. Hebrews 1.3 says, listen to what Hebrews says about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Think about that the exact imprint of his nature. No, no, amen. Do I need to pull the signs out? Like, you're not the radiance of God's glory. You're not the exact imprint of his nature. We are created in his image, but we're not many gods. The NIV Bible says he is the exact representation of God's being. Think about what, what, what it's saying here. Jesus who walked the face, God walked the face of the earth. This is what what we're saying in Jesus Christ. He walked the face of the earth in the incarnation. He's God incarnate. We present to the world a Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. Is that who you present to others when you're sharing them, talking with them about Jesus? More than a carpenter. More than a carpenter. More than a Jewish man. He is God. More than a prophet. More than a healer. He's God. He's God. Every two years, Lifeway Research and Legal New Ministries conducts a state of theology survey in, in America. And last year, they surveyed over 3,000 um, people with 35 statements, and one statement in particular says this, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That's one of the statements. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 32% disagree. 13% are not sure. 55% agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. What about y'all? Are you part of 55%? This is why theology is important. In verse 15b, the apostle Paul, he appears to be part of the 55%. He seems to agree that that Jesus is the first and, and greatest being created by God because look at what Paul says. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. But what's happening here? What's happening here? You see, the concept firstborn, it it has two sides. On one side, it has to do with birth order. And on the second side, it has to do with birth rights. Birth order is the order in which a person is born compared to their siblings within their family. And birth right is about status. It's about rank, it's about position, it's about inheritance, it's about privileges, it's about rights. Take, for example, Isaac is an Old Testament saint with two sons, Esau and Jacob. 
Esau is, is firstborn by order. And if you know the history, then, then you know that Esau sells something to his younger brother, brother Jacob. He doesn't sell the fact that he was born first. He, he can't undo the birth order. It's a done deal. Instead, he sells to his brother his birthright, his status, his rank and position within the family. He sells his benefits and his rights and, and his privileges and inheritance away for a cup of soup. So Jacob becomes firstborn by birthright. Jesus, Paul, is talking about the second side of, of firstborn in relation to Jesus. Jesus has the birthright of a firstborn son. Amen. The rank, the position, the status, the power, I mean, the honor, the privileges, the inheritance, and the benefits, the rule, the authority, and the power. Jesus has all the rights of a firstborn child, and he's not going to pull an Esau and sell his birthright away. Can't do it, won't do it. Jesus isn't the first and greatest being created by God, and yet he's called God's son. Make it make sense, right? Scripture tells us that Jesus is God's only begotten son. Begotten means unique. God, Jesus is God's unique son. He's one of a kind son. No one is God's son like Jesus. And we read about this in the Confession of Faith in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 33. Why is Jesus called God's only begotten son? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural son of God. Christ is. The Nicene Creed written in, 30, in, 3, in 325 B.C. says, Jesus to be the only begotten son, it says, begotten from Father before all ages. Begotten from God the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. This was written in 325 A.D. That's some good theology there. In John 5, 58, John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. The, the, the J.B. Phyllis translation says, Jesus existed before creation existed. He's firstborn over all creation. So here's the thing, beloved. Jesus, the eternal son of God, has a higher rank than anything else in all creation. That's what that means. Jesus the eternal Son of God has a higher rank than everything you see in this world. Jesus is on top of it. He's greater than all of it. So the Jesus we present to the world is greater than anyone and anything in the world. That's, who, that's the Jesus we present. He alone is the image of the invisible God, and he alone is firstborn over all creation. That's the Jesus. No one is greater. We sung about it. We sung about it. What a beautiful name it is. And we present to the world a Jesus who is also creator of all things. Think about what's, what, what Paul is showing us here. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And now he's the creator of all things. All things in heaven and on earth, all things visible and invisible, all things spiritual and all things physical, all things are created through Jesus, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, heavenly ones and earthly ones. Everything that you see and enjoy in this world is created by Jesus for Jesus. What do you think that means? For by him and for him. Think about that some more. Because sometimes we think, well, didn't he create it for us? We're called to exercise dominion, yes, but we're part of the creation. Oh, 
through him and for him. Everything that you have. The gravity that holds you down belongs to Jesus. Not us. Not our country. Him. The air you breathe is his. The water you drink is his. The ocean you swim in belongs to Jesus. The rain that waters your grass and crops is his. In fact, you yourself belong to Jesus. Your time, your talent, and your treasure are all his. No more amen statements, huh? It's all his. All the things that you enjoy, all the things you're going to enjoy, all the beautifulness you see, all the wonderful fall colors, Jesus is the reason why those leaves change. Well, it's the seasons, Alex, but who controls the seasons? Who who controls fall, summer, winter, spring, and summer? Jesus does. The stars, Jesus. All those images you've seen from from the Weber cameras out in space, Jesus did that. All those wonderful colors, Jesus did that. It's for him and by him. He did all that. The technology that we have, you think we can do all this stuff if Jesus is not allowing it? Listen, y'all, the earth rotates at the sound of his whistle, okay? Do you realize the earth is the third planet from the sun? Do you think that's by accident? What happens to us when we want a planet closer? We burn to death. What happens if we want planet away? We're going to freeze to death. Is that by accident? Is that because of a big bang? Or is it because of a creator who loves? A creator who creates with intent. The seasons change because of him. The sun rises and sets at the wave of his hands. And governments govern because he allows them to. Nations rule because he allows them to. The Jesus we present to the world is creator of that world. Now, a question that you may ask is, if he's the creator, then why things suck? Because of the fall. Because of Genesis 3. But he's not just the creator. We also present to the world a Jesus who is also sustainer. Even in the midst of a fallen, broken world, Jesus is still in full control. Working out his will, advancing his kingdom, making all things new. The goodness of the Lord is being experienced in the land of the living, even in the midst of war and death and injustice. Okay? It has been experienced. That's what the Bible says. I will experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because we, we look at the world and we see all the things that's happening over here in Decatur and Ukraine and, and, and Israel and all the things that are happening. And sometimes you can look, well, where is Jesus? He's still sustaining us. And sometimes you just have to trust what he says, and not always go by what you see on the news and read on the internet. He is doing it. For he is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. But do we believe that? He is the sustainer of everything that he has created in this world. And this is especially true for one particular aspect of his creation. And what do y'all think that is? Who said that? The church. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer of the church. Not the pastor, not the elders, not the deacons, not the bishop, not the apostles. It's Jesus. So we present, to him, to, we present him to the world as head of the church, as head of the church. The Greek term translated head can mean source or it can mean authority over. 
Context always determines how that term is being used in the Bible. Context, context, context. And the context of, of in our passage calls for both, both definitions are being used here. Source and authority are integrated in verse 18, in verse 18a. Jesus is both the source and the authority when it comes to the church. The founder, the builder, the organizer, the cornerstone, the head. Ephesians 1.22 says, And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is described as a body. Colossians 1, 1, 18a in the Message Bible says, when it comes to the church, Jesus organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. This description highlights the fact that the church is, is more than a building and is more than a place, is more than a location. It is an organism. And like a body with limbs, the church of God and the body of Christ is made up of God's beloved sons and daughters. These are the people who have confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior and repented of their sins. These are the people who, who now surrender their whole life to him, accepted and surrendered to him as both Lord and Savior. So we present to the world a Jesus who is the head of his church. Is that the Jesus we present? We present to this, the world a Jesus who organizes God's people into a global church that includes people from every tribe, every nation, every language, and every ethnicity. It's a global church, not a, just a Western church or an American church. It's a global church. We got, it's, we got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters around the world that don't live in the United States. And Jesus has has brought all of them, integrated all of them into this global universal church he calls his body. This is the Jesus we present to the world. This is the Jesus you present to your neighbor. This is the Jesus we, we extend to others. So that means, the application that means is that if, 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 if you, if Jesus has brought you into this global church, then that means locally you each should be connected to a local body of Christ. Can't love Jesus, don't love his people. It ain't just you and Jesus holding hands, walking down the beach. Jesus is my boyfriend. That, that, no, 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 he's not your boyfriend. He's your savior. He's your God. He's your king. He's your Lord. And he has brought you into a body of Christ with fellow brothers and sisters. Are you one of those people? Are you part of his body? Or are you just tagging along for the ride? If not, then you can come to him in faith. Listen, there's no other name under heaven by which sinners can be saved, by which you can be saved. No other name. It's all, this, so this means the, this means we present to the world a Jesus who is redeemer. Redeemer. A redeemer who died for sinners and rose again in victory. Look at verse, look at verse 18b. It says, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Well, that's that firstborn again. What, what does it mean now? How can Jesus be the firstborn from the dead when there were other resurrections in the Bible before his? You do realize that, right? Jesus' resurrection was not the first one. There's two resurrections in the Old Testament, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. There's three resurrections in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Luke 8, Luke, Luke 8, Luke 7, Luke 8, and Luke 11. And all five of these people, they were all raised from the dead before Christ, but each of them also died again. Jesus doesn't die again. His resurrection is different. It's a game changer. It's on a, a whole nother level. Look at verses 18b and 
3.20. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace as reconciliation by the blood of his cross. Remember, the term firstborn can refer to either birth order or birthright. In verse 15b, we said it refers to birthright. Jesus has the privileges and the rank of a firstborn child. In verse 18b, it refers to both, birth order and birthright. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus' resurrection is greater than all the ones that came before him. That's birthright. Why? Because his resurrection has power. Power to defeat sin and death. Lazarus died and rose again, but you know what Lazarus' resurrection didn't do? It didn't defeat sin and death. Romans 5.25 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, but he was raised for our justification. So his resurrection is greater. Because if he did not rise from the grave, then we're all idiots. And what we're doing, we're nothing but a cult. If he did not raise from the dead, then we've been sold a bill of goods. Pity, it would be that pity us all. I went to seminary for nothing. And you come here for nothing if Christ is still in the grave. He had to raise him. He defeated sin and death. His resurrection is also, um, in terms of birth order, it has all the rights and, and everything, too, the privileges and stuff. Acts 26, 20, 23 says, Jesus is the first to raise from the dead. Revelation 1, 5 calls him the firstborn of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of the new order of things. It accomplished something, and it's still accomplishing something. And please know, what his resurrection did, it was more than just individual salvation. It accomplished more than just so you can go to die and go to heaven. In Revelation 21.5, it says, he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. All things. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of him making all things new. It's the beginning of the redemption of all things. It's the beginning of the new creation. It's moving towards the new heavens and the new earth. He's restoring creation back to its rightful place. Genesis 1 and 2. That's what, he, that's what he's doing. We're going back to Genesis 1 and 2. Cosmic redemption. Dr. Anthony Bradley, one of my favorite theologians, he says, we do know that God's ultimate work of redemption in Christ includes people, places, and things. God wants his people to care about the destinies of people in every aspect of creation. No one, no group of people should care about every aspect of creation like us. Because we look out here and say, that belongs to my father. Those people who are dying, those are my father's creation. And I grieve their death. I don't care who's right and wrong. And war, war is messy. But as Christians, we should care about every person's life. We should care about every aspect of creation because it belongs to our Father. Everybody here that you see, they are renting space from Jesus. Every nation, they're renting that from Jesus. Every kingdom, they're renting that from him, Jesus. And one day, he's going to come back and he's going to kick everybody out. We're all living in rented space. 
because it all belongs to him. So who is the Jesus we present to the world? When people this week ask you, well, who is this Jesus that you worship? Tell me about this Jesus that, that you love. First, you say, well, he is the image of the invisible God. He's God incarnate. Well, I don't believe that, but it's true. He's the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? That means he has all the, the rights and privileges, and he's greater than anyone and anything on the face of this earth. Well, he's the creator and the sustainer of the world. That's who Jesus is. He is the head of the church, his body. And finally, he's the redeemer of people, places, and things, making peace by the blood of his Lord Jesus, thank you that in you all things hold together. That even right now, you have not stopped. You don't take a vacation from being God. You're God all the time. Our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Spirit, you're always working, bringing things to consummation. And I pray for those of us that if we're having a hard time seeing your goodness in the places where we do life, I pray that you will help us to see it this week. That you will help us to see the ways in which you are good to us as a body, as families, and as individuals. Help us to be able to taste your goodness this week in the places that we do life in the places that are hard and difficult right now in our life. Help us to see your goodness. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand, saints?
y'all may be seated. I'd like to invite Russ Daniels up. He has a, a quick ministry moment for us. And Russ is the new liaison for, between us and Lincoln Village Ministry. So thank you for serving there, Russ. All right. Uh, yeah, so we have a Lincoln Village workday coming up uh, on November 18th from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, just a couple notes. If you do plan to come to wear close toed shoes, bring water, and wear work clothes if you don't mind getting dirty. Um, and you'll meet in the Lincoln Village, uh, Lincoln Academy parking lot, um, and you'll be assigned a task when you arrive. Um, and so that can be anything that they need that day. So just come prepared for whatever they need you to do. So that will be November 18th from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Before, after the benediction, we are going to go straight into the congregational meeting. That should take about 10 minutes. And then after that, we'll head into SEC. The adults will meet here in the sanctuary for evangelism training, and the youth will meet downstairs, and the kiddos will be in the, um, the annex. And also remember trunk or treats tonight, so 3 to 5, and bring a friend, invite your neighbors to come to that as well. So please stand for God's uh, benediction. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all and all God's people said, Amen. So please come closer if you